day, a smooth mountain is impossible to climb. And I got all kinds of uh, responses back, and I thank the Lord for that and for your interest in what it is that God is sharing with us. But there is actually no truer or wiser statement than just that. A smooth mountain is impossible to climb. And we're going to kind of talk about that. Through my many years uh, pastoring, I've noticed that there are several things about people that stand out, especially believers. One of the most alarming things that I've observed, no matter how composed people, especially believers, may be on the outside, I have found that there is this fine line on the inside for which they will not cross for anyone. And when I say anyone, this includes God. So what I'm talking about is conditional obedience. And I want you to kind of uh, keep that theology, that phrase uh, in the forefront of your mind as we go throughout today's sermon, conditional obedience. And as we're talking today, I want you to begin to think within yourself where that line of conditional obedience is in you. Now, most of the time, we won't even talk about this line or even think about this line. And many of us will even argue that this line doesn't exist within us. We feel superficially committed unconditionally to God. Wherever God leads us, the declarative in our mind and most of the time out of our lips is, here I am, Lord, send me. We say wholeheartedly that we trust and obey God. One of the things that we say about this generation of believers in comparison to previous generations is that this generation is smarter than the previous generation, but they are not as strong as the previous generation. I believe that they are weaker spiritually, even though they may be more discerning than those that have preceded us. They've become sophisticated enough to know how certain spiritual principles work. They fashion their lives and their theology to fit neatly within this framework that they've created that provides for them a certain measure of success so that they can live in some level of relative comfort. Their knee-jerk reaction to any thought or experience or relationship that challenges their perfectly programmed lives is to just rebuke it, to bind it up, to cast it out, and to seek to avoid pain at any cost, as if pain is somehow no longer associated with the Christian journey. Well, let me just make something plain and clear at the onset of uh, any crisis that you face, your level of comfortability will be shattered and it will be replaced by multiple levels of frustration. Let me say that again for you. Yes, believers, your level of comfortability will be shattered and replaced by multiple levels of frustration at the onset of crisis and crisis is a part of every believer's journey. Now, I shared this this, just this week speaking with uh, someone very dear to me. Frustration really is your fear that the, the efforts that you put in will not pay off when your crisis is over. 
the issue that during the initial stage of your crisis, the course is really set for your outcome. And this is why the initial stage of your crisis is so vitally important if you want that crisis to turn out the way you would like it to. Now, we've all created a type of payoff system with God. If I do this, God will do that. If I do this thing, say this thing, go to this place for God, he will do this thing for me. And when you're doing all that you know to be right and right things don't seem to be coming your way, it becomes very easy to get frustrated. And it is in this level of frustration that actually brings into plain view the line of conditional obedience that you refused to cross. Now, the closer we get to this line, our language will begin to change. We go from our perceived payoff theology to something slightly different. We change our comments and we find ourselves saying things like, if God doesn't do this, then what? We have to ask ourselves if we have um, come to a place or if we have to have a condition uh, met before we can obey God. Does God have to do something for us before we will truly obey him? Now, this may come as a shock to you, but God has his own questions. If you don't believe me, I want you to think about this because he asks these questions in his word. Will you obey and do what I tell you even if A or B doesn't happen. You see, that once distant line of conditional obedience becomes quite visible in your path. And I believe that we need to move from an attitude of commitment to a mentality of surrender. You see, the crises that we face in life have a way of showing us where our line of conditional obedience actually is. But that's not all that a crisis will reveal to us. If we are paying close attention to what's going on in our lives, we can see some things that God is revealing to us. Remember that at the beginning of your crisis, the course is set for the outcome of that crisis. And I know that sometimes, especially in the middle of storms that are raging in your life, uh, it becomes quite easy to just throw in the towel or to do what we often try to do and that is negotiate with God. Some of us are the biggest negotiators. We could negotiate peace on earth the way we try to negotiate with God. We move from the proverbial why to placing certain criteria on our obedience. Now, some within the body of Christ may even begin to say to themselves things like, if this is what following God is going to do for me, what's the use? Where is the payoff? Where is the promise of all the blessings coming my way? We've been conditioned in the body, especially with, it, you know, with so many preachers teaching false doctrines like the prosperity gospel, as if that is all God is concerned about. How fat your pockets get. That when trouble comes, we have no idea what to do and we throw up our hands and we're ready to walk out the door because all we've been taught is that God just wants to bless you. We've been taught to expect a return on our investment 
or at least to know what our investment will get us in the end. But this is where God is quite different than we are. You see, God wants to use the crisis that we face to solidify our commitment or our level of surrender so that we might learn to just say yes. Yes, when we don't know what the question is. He wants us to be willing to follow even when we don't know where it is that we are going. Sometimes it's very difficult to surprise my wife. You know, surprises involve, you know, let, let me give you an example. If I want to take my wife out to a, a dinner that she doesn't know about or to a location where she doesn't know where she's going or just taking her anywhere, really, it's not that after almost 40 years that we've spent on this earth together, that's a long time, 40 years, she knows me better than I probably know myself. It's not that after all that time, she doesn't trust me. My wife just simply enjoys having some level of control. And the one thing that she hates the most is to be kept in the dark about anything. You see, my wife needs to know everything before it actually happens or exists or come into being. Now, for me to just say, hey, babe, get dressed and get into the car. We have somewhere to go. Before there is any changing of clothes, there's going to be a barrage of questions related to our apparent destination. She won't just go into the room and throw something on. She won't just, uh, you know, say, okay, and hop in the car, happy-go-lucky, as if I'm getting ready to drive us off a cliff. Now, this, and, and I've been a little bit, um, you know, overboard with the description of my wife, but this is the same way that we are when it comes to following God. Amen. The book of Isaiah, the first chapter in the 19th verse says this, if ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. You see, God takes advantage of the days of our uncomfortableness and our frustration to invade our space and get right up in our face. He presses in on us with an unrelenting pursuit. If you're wondering why, it's because he wants to deliver us from the bondage of policies, of principles, and of systems and replace it with a deep personal relationship with him now at times it may even seem as if he's going to you know take everything and uh, leave you with nothing and sometimes that's exactly what he does because he wants to be first in your life God never wants to play second fiddle a golf analyst once asked uh, one of my favorite golfers of all time Tiger Woods if he thought that he would win a certain tournament. And this is when Tiger uh, was, you know, really young and just coming into the PGA Tour. And they had this certain level of, um, you know, belief about the PGA Tour players. And here's this young kid coming in. And yeah, they know he's good, but they had no idea just how good he was. So when they talked to Tiger about his uh, belief that he would win the event, the analysts thought that Tiger Woods was quite pretentious in his answer you see tiger's answer was 
I didn't come here to lose. I came here to win. Then he went on to say, coming in second sucks. And third, that's even worse. Now think about this in response to uh, how God feels. Thinking about his response, many would be happy with just being in second place. Because, you know, second place, you still receive a reward. You, you still get a high regard, but not for the greatest player of the game. He didn't want to be in second. He didn't want to be in third. He didn't want a top five. They rate some golfers by how many times they have top five finishes, top ten finishes. These promote them and push them and open up all kinds of doors for them. But for Tiger, it meant nothing unless he was number one. Now multiply that times God. God doesn't want to be second. He does not want a participation trophy in your life. He wants your life. Now, our human effort and uh, our careful orchestrated plans are going to fail. Even our cleverly choreographed music that we have been dancing to may suddenly come to a stop. Now the real issues must be dealt with. Think about things like uh, you know, what, how you would serve God if uh, people lie about you. Will you serve God and love God if you don't get everything you want from God? You know, like people tell you, all you have to do is pray. And the Bible says that God will give you the desires of your heart, taking completely out of context and chopping off the first part of the scripture, which is those that delight themselves in the Lord. I'm getting excited. I, let me calm down. The question really is, is can you even trust God when rather than increase, he and you are in the middle of a cup that's filled with subtraction to drink? Now, many preachers would have you to believe that God would never do anything of the sort, but that could not be farther from the truth. Can it be possible? Could it be true? that you may find yourself in a wilderness place or even a wilderness season, not even as a result of uh, the devil that's against you, but rather because God who is for you is trying to develop you, to mature you, to show you something, not just about himself, but also about you. Scripture says this in the book of Hosea, the second chapter, the 14th through the 15th verse. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her and I will give her vineyards from thence in the valley of Achor for a door of hope and she shall sing there as in the days of her youth and as in the, <coughs> excuse me, as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. Now, you may not be in crisis because you displeased God. It might actually be because there is a greater treasure that you must recognize that needs to be unlocked that is already within you. Sometimes, somehow, as your heart moves forward in spite of your present pain, 
you begin to know it is God that has brought you to this place. Not for destruction, but for redemption. In the middle of the wilderness at the onset of crisis, God is really speaking comfortably to you. And somehow you know it and you hope that from this place or this experience, a harvest is going to be born. The mountain is made rugged so that you can climb it and reach its plateau. Don't allow yourself to become so frustrated with your dilemma because your crisis may be the very thing taking you to where you've always wanted to go. God will challenge all of the conditions that you've added since you were converted. The best news is before it is all over, his promise is that you will sing. So you might as well sing in the middle of your crisis as you did when you were first saved. Sing as you did before layers of hurt and disappointment silenced your song. And before you were taught the laws of true prosperity, strategies for success in warfare, and how to be promoted within the kingdom of God. You've heard the scripture uh, say that nothing will come upon you greater than what you can bear. And with everything, there is a way to escape. Don't lose focus on this declarative of God. In the middle of your wilderness, there is a door of hope for you. If you will but wipe away the line of your conditional obedience, you can walk right through that door of hope. If you will take the limits off of God, watch. He will take the limits off of you. Right here, right now, even as you're listening to me, you ought to shift from commitment to God to surrender to God. And if you are right now in the crucible of crisis, you ought to just say, yes, Lord. Release all of your striving to him for the restoration of God is your harvest. You can't climb a smooth mountain for there is nothing for your feet to gain traction on. There is nothing for your hands to grip upon, to pull you through. Hosea 6, 1 through 3 says, Come and let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn and he will heal us. He hath smitten and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. In the third day, he will raise us up and we shall live in his sight. Amen. Then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord. His going forth is prepared as the morning and he shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and the former rain unto the earth. Now this declarative of God found in scripture applies to each of us. Your wilderness season, your wilderness place, your mountain that you're trying to climb can be a place of refining and your defining. It's the rite of passage that you must cross to have your identity securely anchored into who God says, not he is, but who God says you are. It's where the correct perspective of not only what you are, but who you are is revealed to you. You see, the wilderness comes so that you can ultimately do what God says that you can do. Let me give you an example found in the word of God, John the Baptist. Now God 
took John out of Jerusalem until the day of his public showing. God will place you in the middle of rough circumstances for the purpose of bringing you out of the very thing you didn't even know that you had in you. God is drawing out of you what he, what treasure is in you. What it is, is you don't know. You don't know who you are, your true identity. We've only had glimpses of who we are. We've only had slight understanding of who we are. In the wilderness, John learned not to care if people liked him or his message. Amen. You ought to ask yourself how much care you give to what people think about you. Now, some people might have said, that poor, dysfunctional, strange boy, he was raised without his father, poor thing. God, on the other hand, took what may have looked like a temporary evil and he turned it into a very good and important cause. You see, when John was ready, God took him back to the very city of his birth and into his destiny and uh, established his identity. Do you remember the story of Jesus' baptism in the Jordan River? As Jesus comes out of the water, the Holy Ghost in the form of a dove rests upon him. Then comes the proclamation from heaven, this is my son. Now, I'm immediately, uh, I find in scripture that after this profound moment, Jesus is not led into the spotlight to be put on display as the son of God. God, he, he just gets baptized. God is proud of him. Cracks the sky. A voice from heaven comes. This is my son. You would think that, oh boy, here comes the mega church. I'm, I'm on my way. I'm getting ready to preach to thousands. I'm getting ready to be put up on the pedestal and people are going to draw to me and this is going to be great. Oh, what an awesome time I'm going to have. God's proud of you. He just cracked this guy and just said, hey, I'm proud of you. But instead... Just like John, the Spirit of the Lord leads him into a place of wilderness. You see, when you learn to open your eyes as you're reading text, you can see things that you may not have seen before. And there's something I want you to understand. You've been fighting to get to your destiny, but you can't get to your destiny without traversing your wilderness. You will never arrive at your destiny by trying to bypass your wilderness. You see, the ruggedness of the mountain is what allows you to enjoy the climb to the top. Maybe you have heard the story, Jesus fasted for 40 days, then Satan poses a question to Jesus that is in direct contradiction with what God has already stated. Now remember that God's last words concerning Jesus were, this is my son. So what we're dealing with really is an identity that's being established. Now watch this. The last words of God to Jesus before his wilderness experience is this is my son. The first words of the devil are 
if you are the son. You see, God establishes your identity and the devil will always challenge your identity. This is what the enemy constantly does. He challenges your identity in God. He strives to know if you understand who it is that God says you are. Now, the devil incorrectly points to Christ's condition as the basis of his identity. Let me tell you the story a slightly different way. Let me just open up your understanding with rephrasing uh, what is said and what's actually going on. You see, Satan, as basically, if you are uh, is saying, is, you know, basically, if you are the son of God, then why are you hungry? You see, he's asking Jesus, in essence, a question that's connected to his identity. If you are this, then why is this occurring? If you are the son of God, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof and they that dwell therein, then why are you hungry? Now, this question is really offered to each of us in many forms and at many times. But it goes something like, if you are who God said you are, why are you in the condition that you're in? If God said that you are blessed, then why is it that you're broke? If God said you're healed, then why is it that you still feel sick, go to the hospital, and have to deal with all kinds of medical intervention? Now, thinking about it in this perspective brings a better level of clarity to what is actually occurring in your life. As you're enduring these situations and you're considering your answer, the temptation is to satisfy your hunger of your identity rather than relying on the very thing that God says in his word about you in your circumstances. You see, back in the wilderness, if you really pay attention to what, what's going on, Jesus gives this answer to the devil. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Matthew 4 and 4. Check the text. Now, I want you to understand something. I want you to see something very important here. The very answer that Jesus gave is the key that unlocks our door of hope we find ourselves in the middle of our crisis and Jesus is giving us the key to access our hope you see Jesus was hungry this is his condition but his identity was not based on his condition it wasn't based on his hunger it wasn't based on his lack or his present situation had nothing to do with who he truly is and as we examine the conversation we can see that in the response of Jesus he doesn't even address the condition of his hunger in essence, what Jesus declares was that he lived according to the word of God and believed what God says about him, regardless of where it is he was or what it was he was doing. In essence, Jesus said, I trust my father. I am who he says I am. Amen. 
In other words, he's not dealing with his condition. He's not talking about his condition. We talk about our condition rather than talking about our God. We talk about the sickness in our body. We talk about the lack that we have. We talk about the pain and the suffering. We talk about those who have turned against us. This is what we talk about. But Jesus said the key to hope is letting go of your condition and just focusing on your identity. Here's the thing. This is the thing that we have to come to full understanding of. You cannot be something by doing something. You are who you are because it is who you are and it is determined that that is what you are because God said that is what you are. Paul did not say I do what I do by the grace of God. But he said, I am what I am by the grace of God. Paul wasn't focused on doing. Doing is action. Doing has to do with circumstance. Doing has to do with condition. Doing has to do with uh, everything that's opposite of God. God is concerned about your identity. He doesn't say I do. He says I am what I am by the grace of God. 1 Corinthians 15 and 10. Check the text. You ought to read it for yourself. It might just throw some light up into your darkness. Remember, it is in Christ that we live and move and have our being Acts 17, 28, even when we are in the middle of a storm, you may just find yourself in the middle of the wilderness, but not because the devil is against you, but because God is for you. God calls you into the wilderness not to teach us to do something, but rather to be someone. He's trying to get you to recognize your identity in him rather than doing. God, in the beginning, when he's talking, he never says, go do something. He says, be strong. The wilderness is a hard place. There are no landmarks, virtually no food. There's no uh, water or barely any water. And definitely there is no place of comfort. It is a place of scarcity, a place of extremes, and a place of isolation. Now, some people like to be isolated, and you need to get that spirit off of you because God didn't call you to walk by yourself. God called you to come together with your brothers and sisters in the body of the kingdom and forever be with the Lord. God didn't call you to be alone. The enemy wants you to be alone. God did not give you the spirit of isolation, and I don't want to be bothered with people. The devil gave that to you, and you ought to rebuke it with every fiber of your spirit spiritual being I don't want to be alone I want to stand in the body of believers and be caught up in the air with them when the Lord comes but you have to understand there is purpose to the isolation that is in the wilderness not your isolation 
but the isolation that comes because of your wilderness experience. God isolates us for, for our, from our support system so that we can get our eyes focused back on him so that we can finally realize he knows exactly what it is that he is doing. You see, we get frustrated and we don't want to be bothered with people because people will let you down. So we want to be by ourselves. But God says, I didn't call you to be by yourself. But sometimes I will cause you to be by yourself so you'll stop looking for help from everybody else and just look for help from me. See, who you are must not be built on age, race, income, level, class, status, or who your parents were or are or even who they aren't. Being an identity are not based on your zip code. They have nothing to do with your W-2. They have nothing to do with anything external. Our identity must be firmly established only on who God says we are. You see, when you know who you are in God, it won't be long until you just, like Jesus, walk right through the door of hope, which is the exit from the very place that you don't want to be, and return to the harvest in a power that brings glory to God. You see, when your identity is questioned, it is also at the same time being confirmed you see, with Jesus' identity firmly established, he entered the temple and once again uh, located himself in God's word. And you got to understand what he says. You see, when, when he came out of this and he goes into the temple, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind so uh, to set at liberty them that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord if you don't believe me Luke 4 18 through 19 will tell you then Jesus closes the book he sits down and he says this today this scripture is fulfilled. In the middle of your crisis, you ought to be able to declare, today the scripture is fulfilled. Today what God has declared about me is fulfilled. Yes, yes. Now, those that were in the temple, they began to say, again, a challenge to the question, or to the, uh, his identity. Isn't this... Joseph's son? They're challenging who he is. But it was too late. Jesus had won the battle over his identity when he was in his crisis and he would never be put, be put in that box again. You see, your mountain is rugged rather than smooth. Don't be frustrated about its ruggedness because God is going to allow you to discover your identity in the midst of your wilderness and to know that no matter what your circumstances or what your environment may be, you will find that you will remain true to God and you'll find out who it is that you are because you've allied yourself with God. Your crisis 
is to open your eyes to your identity. You will never know who you are if the mountain is smooth. You will never understand the things that you can accomplish if your mountain is smooth. You will never get to the plateau if your mountain is smoothed. Every attack of the enemy, every attack of the enemy is an attack on your identity. It's an attack on your perception. It's an attack on your reality. What it is that's real to you. You are what God says you are. And the enemy's gonna challenge that at every turn. Life is gonna challenge that at every turn. The systems of life are gonna challenge that at every turn. But you have to never forget that there's so much God wants to reveal to you and he cannot reveal these deep things to you if you don't know who you are. It's only in the knowledge of who you are that you can understand the deep things of God. Don't be frustrated by what you're going through. Don't buy into the nonsense that you're being punished. Don't buy into the human jargon that God just wants to bless you. God really is concerned about maturing you because he cannot be intimate with you until you are mature. The desire of God is to grow you so that you can have a full relationship with him. Please, people of God, turn off all this nonsense. Even some of the nonsense that's coming from pulpits across America. That all God wants to do is put money in your pocket. God could care less about how wealthy you are. Some of the biggest name preachers say some of the you know, most eloquent things and cause you to believe that that's all God cares about, but it's not. If that was all God cared about, there would be no poor. There would be none that suffered. If that was all God cared about, there would be no sickness or disease. But that's not what God cares about. God cares about a 100% restored relationship with him. And that starts with you knowing who you are. One of the biggest struggles that we have is dealing with sin that is constant and present in our life. Yes, we've been converted. Yes, we've turned our lives over to God, but you're still dealing with the human condition. You still get frustrated with things of your flesh. And when those things happen, the very first thing you do is shy away from God and be you shy away from him because you think you're not worthy to be with him. But you've got to understand that even if you've fallen down, God, because he loves you, wants to pick you up. He wants to dust you off because he loves you. He wants to draw you close because he loves you. Why? Because 
because you are his son, you are his daughter. He's not concerned about that. He sent his son to deal with the sin in your life that it would be removed, the stain of it gone, and it would be put out of his mind. All he sees is the, the obedient work of Jesus in you. But the enemy will cause you to run from him just like Adam and Eve ran in the garden thinking yourself not worthy because you messed up you may have messed up repent turn from that thing do it no more not in the power of your flesh but in the power of your identity in God declare yes I fell down but today I'm getting up because today I recognize who I am in God. I didn't see it last night. I didn't see it last week. I didn't see it last year. But today I know who I am. Amen. And I'm returning to my God that I might stand with him and he might stand with me and pour into me so that I can walk through the door of hope which is only found in Jesus. I hope that this word has been a blessing to you. It's on purpose that the mountain is rugged. It's rugged so you can know who you are. It's rugged so you can get to your plateau. It's rugged for your good. Embrace the ruggedness of your environment because in it you will see not only God but you will see the God in you God bless you have an awesome Sunday and a beautiful week in the Lord for you are his beloved and he is cracking the sky over your life and declaring this is my son this is my daughter. God bless you. This has been a production of the GMFC Studios. God bless you.